Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman. And this afternoon, um, by way of Dallas and now in Asheville, North Carolina, we have with us uh, uh, Robert Udishan from his own law firm, um, Udishan Anton. Nice to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Um, so I know it's the afternoon, but the theme of our show is latte with a lawyer. That's how we get all these lawyers to come on the show. What's your uh, morning beverage of choice? Yeah, I, w- I wish I could say it was a latte, uh, but it's not. I, I really don't drink coffee at all. Okay. Uh, so at the mornings, I usually just have a, a protein smoothie. <laughs> That's my nice. drink. Yeah. That means you're a healthy person and you're watching those kind of things. Yeah, I, I try to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, good. Um, so, I, I, you know, I obviously read a little bit about your background and um, you guys are focused on criminal defense. Tell us about your practice and what the firm does. So I've been a criminal defense lawyer for uh, next month to be 45 years. I mean, uh, from the time I got out of law school, I've done criminal defense. And my firm in Dallas, that's all we do is criminal defense work. It's a boutique criminal defense firm. And we do trial work and appeals and post-conviction cases. Excellent. And and what flavor of criminal defense? Uh, really, uh, any kind of criminal defense. I mean, we do a lot of federal white-collar cases. I've done a lot of uh, blue-collar, uh, street crime. I mean, over the years, murder cases, robbery cases, sexual assault cases. So it, we really do the whole wide range of criminal law but we don't do anything other than criminal law. Okay. And, and is there any particular focus that you do more than others? No, I mean, I've always enjoyed doing a little bit of everything. I mean, it's one of the things I like about criminal law. I mean, one day I could be uh, representing a corporation in federal court and the next day representing a person accused of murder. Yeah. And I have to learn a lot of different things, and, and but it, it always keeps me on, on my toes. And I personally, I mean, I do trials and appeals and post-conviction work. So do a little bit of everything. And I also spent 20 years as an adjunct criminal procedure professor at the SMU School of Law in Dallas. Oh, SMU. Okay, excellent. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, SMU obviously is a, a big university, been around for a long time. Do they also have a, a business school and a medical school? Or is it just a law school? It, Well, they have a business school. I mean, it's a full university. They do not have a medical school. Okay. Yeah. I I actually, I lived in Dallas for a half a year. I worked at Texas Instruments. Yeah. It was a a internship when I I was in graduate school and I had a job at TI. So I lived in Dallas for half a year. Yeah. Well, I know exactly where Texas Instruments is. Of course (laughs) you do. Richardson on the, on the, yes. It's probably still the same campus. Central Expressway. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was, uh, it was an interesting time and it was, it was a lot of fun. I got to uh, experience life. I'm a Yankee. I'm from Boston originally. And I literally drove my car down to Dallas. Never been there in my life. It, it was, it was quite an experience. It, it doesn't sound like you stayed there very long. I didn't, I didn't stay there long, but I, but I'll tell you what did happen. I made some good friends there and uh, I became friendly with one guy who, uh, 
his family had a cattle ranch in Longview, Texas. And one weekend we drove to the, to the ranch and we went out and got a bull. They needed a new bull for the ranch. And then we cooked a side of beef that night. And, uh, and I got enough experience with him listening to country music. I still, to this day, like country music. And I never forget those, that six months I spent there. It had yeah. actually a, a pretty profound impact on me. Well, te Texas will do that to people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Texas is, is certainly, uh, they're making the news uh, yes. as of late, right? Yes, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Uh, you know, the Lone Star State. My, yeah. my dad, uh, actually, my dad went to University of Texas. And uh, one of my brothers uh, graduated from UT Austin. Well, that's how I, I went to UT undergraduate and law school. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, excellent. Did. That, that's a very cool place. It is. I love Austin. Yeah, it's a very neat. I mean, much different than the rest of Texas, right? It, it is totally different, totally different feel. And, uh, you know, I had a chance this spring to go spend a couple of weeks working in Austin. So so that it's always nice for me to get back there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so, okay. So criminal defense. Um, so you're a bit of a generalist, even though it's criminal defense. I mean, you cover lots of different types of casework. That's true. I, I do. And, and it's just, it's just something that I like uh, doing rather than just doing the same thing day in and day out. Um, so, uh, so tell us about, uh, the journey, like how you became a lawyer and, and why you chose criminal defense. Uh, that, it's really an easy question for me. I grew up watching Perry Mason with my mother. And uh, from the time I was a, a kid, I always wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. And uh, so I knew going undergraduate school, I was going to go to law school. And I knew in law school, I was going to practice criminal law. And I took every criminal law course that the University of Texas Law School had to offer. And uh, when I graduated, uh, I went to work. My first job was working at the prison in Huntsville, Texas, representing inmates. Yeah. And, and I did that for about a year and a half and then moved to Dallas and went into private practice in Dallas. Wow. Well, where'd you grow up? It, really all over Texas. My family moved around a lot. I mean, I lived in Odessa and Lubbock and graduated from high school in Houston. And then my family moved to Dallas when I was a freshman at the University of Texas. Oh, interesting. Very good. That's so interesting that you knew early on. I was I always was a little bit envious of people that knew exactly what they wanted to do and they followed that path. Yeah, well, and it, it worked out. It's been a great career. I mean, I've, I've uh, November will be 45 years doing it and I've really enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm, I'm in the process of kind of winding my practice down. I still have a few cases in Texas and I'm still working on some matters and if something really interesting came along i would probably get involved in it yeah. but for the most part um i'm just referring things to the other lawyers in my firm in, in dallas oh good well i'll tell you what, someone who's been pricing in 45 years you certainly don't look at you look like it's been easy on you and you look, <laughs> you look well thanks <laughs> it, it's been a, it's been a good and fun career good excellent is the, is the firm uh expanding or is it staying still relatively small yeah, it's relatively small. I mean, it's really unusual to uh, have a, a criminal defense firm, uh, really even of the size of our firm. I mean, oh, you get, okay. get uh, too many criminal defense lawyers together, you get a lot of egos and people that don't get along. And and uh, so we're really one of the biggest criminal defense firms in Texas. Uh, usually you have maybe 
two, three, four lawyers, and, and that's about as big as they get. Oh, I didn't realize that. And then normally I, su I assume part of a larger practice where it's just a group. Within a yeah, and so, so a lot of the really big national firms have a, a criminal defense section, but but they're not really what I would call full-service criminal firms. I mean, they do a lot of uh, corporate representation, white-collar federal cases, but they don't do state cases for the most part. And so we, we really try to provide a full service uh, firm to represent people with any kind of criminal problem you might have. Okay. Is it hard to recruit and find? No. I mean, we always have more people knocking on our door than we can hire. And uh, I, um, I mean, I've been really lucky when I was teaching at SMU, I could identify the, the best students that were from my class in criminal law and, and over the years have hired a, uh, a number of students that um, that I taught. And uh, and one still still works for me and has worked for me now probably close to 15 years. And, oh, wow. and so it, it's been a good pipeline for us. Do certain schools um, focus on that kind of uh, litigation? Uh, yes. I mean, I, you know, I taught at SMU, but SMU doesn't really focus that much on, on criminal law. I mean, I yeah. taught criminal procedure and a lot of people took that because it's on the bar exam, but SMU is really more business and tax oriented. Okay. Uh, they did don't offer near as many criminal law courses as the university of Texas did where I went to law school. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, but so, but Texas is a bigger law school, so they have maybe more variety and more ability to offer a wider variety. But um, SMU has your all your basic criminal, you know, criminal law and criminal procedure and and uh, things of that uh, nature. And they do have a criminal law clinic, so you get a lot. A lot of people are interested in criminal law, and I I've been. I guess fortunate that I had a number of students tell me they took my class because it. They knew criminal procedure was on the bar exam, but they had no interest in, really in criminal procedure until they took my class. And, and then a lot of them ended up becoming assistant district attorneys or criminal defense attorneys, and which uh, I, I think is a really cool thing. Hmm. Oh, so there is a there is a lot of uh, spillover from being a district attorney to private practice. There is most most criminal defense attorneys start off their careers as assistant district attorneys and they'll spend okay. a few years prosecuting cases and um and then they leave the da's office and become criminal defense attorneys uh that's not the path that i follow but it, it's a good path and i i uh, would typically tell my students particularly if you want to be a trial lawyer that's a good way to go and get in the courtroom a lot i mean you get in the courtroom a lot more than you do as a criminal defense attorney and kind of learn the ropes uh, doing that before you get out and start representing people on the defense side. Got it. So how do you pick them out? Like, what do you, th what are the traits of a, of a great criminal defense attorney? Yeah. You, and it, it, that's, that's a good question. I mean, sometimes it's, you, you just kind of know them when you see them, but, but it, it's usually in the people that I've, I've hired are people that are really bright, personable, likable, which I think is really important to being a, a good trial lawyer. I mean, you want yeah. juries to like you, uh, but they they also 
uh, are hard workers. You have to be prepared in, in trial work or, or really post-conviction work or appellate work. So people that don't mind reading and writing, and but they can still uh, talk to a client and make clients feel comfortable and talk to a jury and make the jury be comfortable. So it's a combination of all those skills. Interesting. Okay. But you, and you're always in front of a jury, right? I mean, these are all jury trials. Well, I've tried a lot of judge trials over the years. They're not always jury trials. I've, I've done both, but yeah. um, particularly in state court, where you have a lot of elected judges, I mean, sometimes you know, knowing the judge uh, and knowing what the judge's predilections are, a judge may be better on a particular case than a than a jury. And you get, you know, particularly practicing around Texas, you get to know judges, uh, how they feel about certain cases. And, yeah. you know, that judge is going to be bad for this kind of case, or that judge may be good for this kind of case. And so you might elect to have a judge trial in, in some situations. Oh, I see. Okay. But more than others, I mean, more than like, a, you know, other attorneys, you're in the courtroom in front of a jury more than others. Yeah, I mean, your your typical criminal defense attorney is going to be in trial a lot more often than your average, say, a civil trial lawyer or corporate trial lawyer. I mean, it's just the nature of the of the business. The nature of the business, yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any uh, one case that really stands out in your mind that was memorable? You know, I've done a lot of big cases over the years, uh, but one just because this, I mean, this is particularly on my mind right now. When I mentioned I spent two weeks working in Austin, uh, so one of my cases, HBO is doing a seven-part series uh, about, and it, it's a murder case that I handled a number of years ago. Wow. So I was in Austin during the filming of the trial scenes for that, which was. A, a fascinating experience to kind of watch a case that I tried being filmed and with great actors uh, playing all the all the roles in the case. Um, so that uh, that'll be coming out in the spring on on HBO. Well, I'll have to mark that down. I'm gonna have to watch yeah. it. Yeah. So that was your case that you that you tried. Yeah, it's um, my my client was Candy Montgomery. And she was accused of, of killing another woman with an axe. Mm. She was charged with murder in, in a, a, a little town, little county north of Dallas, Collin County, close to where you worked at yep. Texas Instruments. And uh, so she was tried in McKinney, Texas, and found not guilty uh, by reason of self-defense. And so... Uh, David E. Kelly wrote the script for um, uh, for this series, and it's being produced by David E. Kelly and Nicole Kidman, starring Elizabeth Olsen as my client. Who's, and, the, who's the attorney? So th this is a case. I was a young lawyer when this was tried, and, and uh, so my senior partner at the time, Don Crowder, was the lead trial lawyer in the case, and Tom Pelfrey plays him. Uh, Adam Cropper plays me in in this series, um, and uh, there I mean there's a number of really fine actors in you know, Lily Rabe and Patrick Fugit and Jesse Plemons and play all different roles in in this case. Well, for everybody listening, we know what we're going to watch in the spring. When when is that going to come out? Do you think? 
Um, they're, they've told me it should be coming out in March. Okay. Excellent. I will be sure to mark that and watch that. That's pretty exciting. I mean, that's uh, great for your legacy and your family. And that's, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice event. It, it, uh, yeah, it was a, a fascinating experience just to be involved in the whole production process and to see how they do it, how they put it together. And, um, the actors did an amazing job just seeing how they say their lines, remember their lines and do it, do it over and over again. I mean, one thing that I uh, told them when I was, um, there helping with the filming, the one luxury they have, they could film a scene. And then if the director didn't like it, they, they could film it 10 times until they got it right. I never had the luxury in a trial if I said something stupid or wrong to say, cut, I need to do that again. Right, I'm, that's right. Just had to live with it. And uh, so it's it's a little different when you're when you're filming it. They, they can do it until they have it just right. That's right. So so on, on that note, I mean, how do you make sure you get it right? Because you only get one chance. So that's where uh, I think preparation is really the key. And um, if you're not prepared, you're a lot more likely to make mistakes and say something wrong or do something wrong. I mean, I always try to anticipate everything that I thought could come up in a trial and try to visualize what witnesses might say and what the prosecutor might say to, to just help me with any scenario that, that I might be faced with. Uh, I've done over the years a lot of post-conviction work, meaning you know, people be in prison and they come to me to see if I could help get them out of prison. And, mm. and a lot of people are in prison uh, because their lawyers were ineffective and did not do a good job. And so I've had the chance to go back and look at a lot of lawyers who weren't prepared and didn't properly investigate the case, didn't do the work they needed to do before they went to trial. They just showed up and tried to wing it and most of the time that doesn't work. And no matter how great a lawyer you are, if you're not prepared, um, you're probably going to lose. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading the book now by Brian Stevenson about the mercy. Yes. I've read that book. It's a great book. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? It's not so simple. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of bias and right. And discrimination and you're, it's a tough battle. It's not, Right. So even if you're prepared, I mean, you might not prevail. No, and that, that's true. And a lot of times as a criminal defense lawyer, the deck is stacked against you. I mean, the state typically has all the advantages. I mean, they've got a police force or if you're in federal court, the FBI or the ATF to go out and investigate. I mean, they just have a lot more resources. Yeah. And, and they also have the luxury of picking the cases they want to prosecute. I mean, if it's a bad case. They don't indict it and they don't take it to trial. But as a defense attorney, you don't you don't have that choice. I mean, if your client gets indicted and your client wants trial, you go to trial um, whether you like it or not. And so right. that's where you just have to get prepared and, and investigate and come up with the, the best defense you can. And it doesn't always work. I mean, the, the state or the federal government wins the vast majority of their trials but it's because they get to decide what they're going to try. Got it. So with the, with the post-conviction cases that you've taken on, what's your success rate there typically? 
So that's, I mean, I've, I've um, been very successful, but again, that that's a really uphill battle uh, because once someone's been convicted and sentenced to prison, I mean, the, the courts follow a presumption that that was a, a good, fair trial and the person um, deserves to be in prison. And so yeah. it's really hard to convince a court uh, to overturn those cases. Now, one of the things that later in my career, I, really, I got really actively involved with the Innocence Project, and I'm proud to say uh, I uh, helped exonerate uh, six people from prison in Texas that were wrongly convicted. And, you know, wrongful convictions do do happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, um, you know, it's really just like trying a case initially. I mean, you have to go completely reinvestigate a case and try to figure out why why did it happen? Was it a bad lawyer, bad witnesses, bad science? It could be any number of reasons. It, but that's been really gratifying work to get people out of prison that really never should have been there. Hmm. I can imagine that uh, that could be a little bit dangerous too, maybe, at times. Um, you, you know, um, People think criminal cases and criminal law is dangerous, and yeah. I, I never really found it to be so. I mean, I my friends that practice family law and get involved in real contentious divorce cases, I think are more at risk than, than yeah. a defense attorney, because you're, there you're dealing with people's emotions, and and you never know what someone in a real highly emotional state might do. But usually what I find clients that I'm representing, as long as they feel like you're really trying and doing your best, they're they're not a not a problem at all. I mean, I've never had anyone threaten me or uh, never felt like I was in danger in any way. Yeah, well, I'm thinking if you're unraveling, you know, a murder case or you know, wrongful imprisonment, and you know, there's a lot of politics involved there. And there is. I mean, yeah. and I've been involved in some like DNA cases where the DNA establishes that the person in prison didn't do it. And sometimes the, there'll, there'll be a victim that is absolutely certain that his or her eyewitness identification is more correct than the DNA and, and they won't accept the results. And so they think I'm trying to get someone out of prison that really sh should be in prison. So I have had some people emotional about that, yeah, but not to the point of threatening me. And, mm. and usually that emotion is taken out a lot of times on the district attorney. I mean, who has to go explain to a victim why this case is being overturned mm. uh, more so than, than I do. Got it. Okay. Very good. So um, let me ask you this. So to prepare for a, um, a jury trial, I mean, I would imagine you do mock trials, focus groups, use all those devices. Yes, I do. I've done, I've done both, and those are really good tools, and um, they're they're good both to help prepare for trial, and sometimes I use them just to help educate a client. I mean, sometimes clients want a trial when they'd be better off negotiating a plea agreement. Because I, I mean, I based on my experience, I can usually look at a case and see if we have some chance of winning, no chance of winning. And, and a lot of times clients um, don't understand the risk involved. And so I'll use mock trials and let the client watch the mock trial and hear the 
mock and jury deliberate. And so they know what they're really thinking about it. And then sometimes that helps the client understand how risky it is to really go to trial. And uh, then they may be more willing to authorize plea negotiations to get the best possible result on a case. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a uh, client management. So, yeah, sometimes. And sometimes, it, I mean, I really do do it to help prepare because it it, it is good. It's easy as a lawyer and you never want to get tunnel vision. You start thinking you have a great argument and then you present it to a mock jury and they think your argument doesn't make any sense. But you, you might come up with another argument from listening to the mock jurors talk about the case. Yeah. I mean, where have you found yourself getting tripped up and surprised? Um you know, what what is always hard to predict, and no matter how much you prepare, is exactly what a witness is going to say. And um, unlike um, in civil cases where you can go take everyone's deposition and you have, have everything pinned down before you ever go to trial, uh, it's very rare to do depositions in a criminal case. Mm. Okay, so you like in Texas, for example, you can do a deposition in a criminal case, but you have to get authorization from the judge. And most judges won't authorize it without some really extraordinary reason. So usually you're going to trial and you have a police report and you know what a witness told the police, or maybe you've had your investigator go talk to the witness and get a statement. Um, but once that person gets on the stand, they may say something totally different. They, you know, they, what they told the police or what they told your investigator. And so that, I mean, I've had that happen a number of times over the years. And that's one of the things as a criminal defense attorney that I think you really have to be on your toes and know how to go with the flow on that when you don't have everything locked down in a deposition that's sworn and under oath uh, just to deal with it in, on your feet as it happens. I didn't realize, I didn't realize you weren't allowed to do it depositions before why, why is it, that well um it, it shouldn't be that way i, yeah. I you know this, this is where uh civil litigants uh, in a lot of ways get a lot more rights and ability to do things than criminal litigants do when you would think it would be just the opposite mm. but in texas and I, I the law in every state is different but in texas in 45 years i've done two depositions in criminal cases and I've asked a number of times to do it, but, um, you know, judges just uh, uh, don't allow you to do it. And the legislature in Texas, for example, has not seen fit to uh, authorize that in any kind of criminal case, just like they've done in, you know, in civil cases. You have a whole body of rules of civil procedure that govern yeah. depositions and when you can take them and how to take them and how long to take them. And you don't have that in a in a criminal case. I mean, the criminal case starts with you have to go beg the judge to let you do it. And so I've, had, yeah. I've, I've been able to do it like if a witness is in the hospital and may die and won't be able to come to court or you know something like that. Uh, but otherwise, judges think, no, they can just come to court and testify and you can cross-examine them and you don't need to uh, go harass the state's witness uh, by taking a deposition. And it, it's just, to me, an attitude that doesn't recognize the importance of the criminal case and when someone's uh, liberty is at stake. Yeah. Uh, and is that, you think that's across the country? That's federal? 
Uh, yeah, in federal cases, I've never been able to take a deposition. I mean, again, I mean, it's authorized, but you'd have to get permission from the judge. And most judges, whether it's federal or state, um, think that witnesses shouldn't be harassed by defense attorneys. I mean, that's kind of the way they, they look at it. And so they're real protective of a witness. You know, if a witness says he or she doesn't want to talk to me or my investigator, they just say, well, that's their right. They don't have to talk to you. They'll come testify in trial and you can cross-examine them in trial. Oh, interesting. So, but the plaintiff side can take a deposition? Well, no, I mean, ne neither side uh, typically does. You know, in, say in federal court, the United States attorney or the FBI or whoever's investigated the case can go interview a witness. The advantage that, say, the U.S. attorney has in a federal case is they can call a witness before a grand jury and question the witness under oath. But the defense attorney is not allowed to be in there. So the uh, prosecutor can get, in effect, a free deposition and pin the witness down to what the witness is going to say before they ever put the witness on the stand. Uh, and but I don't have a grand jury and I don't have a way to make them talk to me. Oh, so uh, there's a bias. So there's definitely a bias. There is. I mean, everything yeah. is kind of geared in favor of the government. Yeah, I see that. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, I didn't realize that. Okay, I just learned. I got to think about that for a little bit. That's a uh, that that makes your job a lot harder. Obviously, it, it, it does. Uh, um, you know, people think, you know, you're presumed to be innocent as far as the the law and the Constitution is concerned. Mm. But if you talk to your average person showing up for jury duty, uh, the, you know, they look over there at the defense table and see a defendant sitting there. And I think really in their mind, there's a presumption that person must have done something or they wouldn't be sitting there. Right. And, and so you're really starting in a whole as a practical matter in a jury trial, even though the law says that person's presumed to be innocent. Huh. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, good. Any, anyone else in your family? Uh, you said, said a brother, but any, uh, you have children that are lawyers? No, no, no children I, uh, that are lawyers. My brother's one of my partners in Dallas. I have another brother who's not a lawyer. Uh, my, and then my brother who's, one of my partners, his his daughter is a lawyer, and uh, she's an assistant attorney general for the state of Washington. So she she's based in Seattle. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, and what would your advice be now? Now that you're sort of winding down, what would your advice be to anyone that wants to become a lawyer and maybe a criminal defense? It's, so so, in my opinion, criminal defense is a, is a great career, and, it, and it's been fascinating and, and allowed me to really travel all over the country handling cases and representing people. And uh, so if it's something that a young person wants to do, so you're going to college, thinking about being a lawyer, I first say people always want to know what to major in in school, and I majored in history. Uh, but really, I always tell people major in whatever you enjoy and, you, and uh, uh, that you're interested in. And history was good because you have to read a, a lot and write a lot, and that's helpful uh, for law school. But uh, there's there's no undergraduate career uh, that really is the, the best way to get into law school. And mainly, you know, be open-minded, curious, um, and willing to, to put in hard work. 
And if you have those qualities, you'll make a good lawyer. Got it. And if you want to be defense, maybe go back and watch Perry Mason. Yeah. 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 <laughs> of course, I don't remember Perry ever losing a case. Yeah, he never <laughs> lost, right? He yeah. He pulled it out at the last minute. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get those real Perry Mason moments. But Right. Exactly. All right. Well, this is good, good stuff. Really interesting. I, you, I think you're the first... Uh, really all in criminal defense attorney that I had on and you're uh, you're famous because you're going to have a, a movie made after you. So uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> anyway, I uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then just final words for the, um, for the audience about, you know, what you want to leave them with and the best way to get in touch with you and your firm. Well, my, my firm is Udishin and Anton in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, we have a website and it has an email address on there that you can uh, email us or call phone number. And even though I'm in Asheville, I still respond to emails and phone calls. And I do make it back to Texas from time to time. It's just uh, it's always hard to predict exactly when I'll be back these days. Got it. Got it. Well, you, you're in a pretty nice spot now. So unless you have yeah, to yeah. do it. Yeah. I, I enjoy it here. <laughs> so oh, it's yeah. hard hard to drag me back to, to Texas, particularly in the middle of the summer when it's 100 degrees every day. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, for everybody, uh, we've just uh, spent time with uh, Robert Udishan, um with his law firm, Udishan Anton. And uh, this uh, is sponsored by Emotion Track, and we're a legal tech platform that helps litigators on the plaintiff side, defense side, prepare for cases, uh, trials and mediations with our um, insights platform. Anyway, thank you. It was really a lot of fun to meet you and uh, spend time with you, Robert. Thank you. Well, thank you too for having me on. It's nice meeting you also. You bet.